It's been a joy just to watch uh, God's blessing on Steve's ministry. We do count him at our church as uh, one of our favorite uh, sons and disciples been sent out from our church. Uh, founding pastor of our church, Kimber, was a huge influence in Steve's life and uh, still look fondly in the days when Steve was a part of our staff well before I was ever there. So it's really good to be with you today. Take your Bible, if you will, and open with me to Psalm 77. As Pastor Steve mentioned, I'm going to be speaking today on the subject of lament. Psalm 77 will be our passage in God's Word. Learning to lament began on my knees, and I uttered these words. No, Lord, please, not this. It was 2004. My wife had woken me in the early morning hours. She was pregnant. We were three days away from the delivery of our third, or fourth, rather, child. We had three children that were born And she woke me up that morning and said, Mark, something is wrong. Throughout the course of the evening, she had this overwhelming sense that something wasn't right with our pregnancy. She moved locations, tapped her womb, shifted positions, offered tear-filled prayers, but inside her womb there was only stillness. I dropped to my knees and I cried out to the Lord next to our bed, Lord, please, please, not this. Later that afternoon, the doctor placed a little monitor on Sarah's womb, searching for the sounds of a heartbeat. Seconds passed, and more, multiple angles, and I saw a very concerned look form on his face as he said, let's move over into the ultrasound room. My wife's head dropped, and she knew. A few minutes later, we were in that ultrasound room. We could see the grainy little image of our unborn baby's body. Doctor navigated the ultrasound wand. I'd seen enough ultrasounds to know what he was looking for, the grainy little flutter of a beating heart, and he pointed at the screen and said words that devastated us. He said, I'm so sorry, but the heart's not beating. Just a few days before delivery, a few days before our due date, our little girl named Sylvia died. Following Sylvia's death, the weeks and months that remained, I began to pour my heart out to the Lord with desperate candor. Some of you know exactly what this is like. You're maybe there this morning. I I fought the temptation to be angry with God. I wrestled with sadness that like bored a hole in my chest. And in the midst of my pain, although I didn't even realize it at the time, I began to find words and phrases in the Bible that captured the emotions of my heart. Some even leapt off the pages. And as I began to pray back to God the the pain-filled words of the scriptures, I began to find that the Bible gave voice to my pain. The particular psalms became my own. I'd read them before. I'd even studied them before while in seminary, but I'd never seen them. I'd never heard them like this before. And what had happened is that sorrow had tuned my heart to hear the minor key language of suffering in the Bible, which is lament. Sorrow had tuned my heart 
to hear this unwelcomed but helpful song. And I started on a journey that taught me the grace of lament. And this morning I want to suggest to you that there is amazing grace available for us as we learn this biblical language of sorrow. I've learned, however, that while crying is very natural for us, it's how we begin our lives, lamenting, the kind of tear-filled, gut-level, honest praying that is both biblical and redemptive, that sort of prayer is not as natural. Frankly, there's something about lament that makes many of us a bit uncomfortable or even scared. In fact, when we were walking through our grief and through some of the challenges that we were wrestling with, there were moments when I candidly shared some of the struggles of my soul, and it was apparent that others around us were not comfortable with the level of grief we were walking through. Some of you know this very experience. There was a quick change of subject. There was an awkward silence. Some people even just sort of excused themselves conveniently out of the conversation. Or when people tried to offer words of comfort, they weren't at times, very helpful. Someone might say, well, I'm sure the Lord's gonna give you another baby. Or maybe people will come to faith because of the death of your daughter. Or the Lord knows he can trust you with this. And while all of those people, I'm sure, meant very well, their attempts to address our pain were not helpful. They just simply were not comfortable with the level of grief that we were walking through and lament was just not familiar terrain. I want to suggest to you that for most of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we know how to cry. But my question is, do you know how to lament? So today from Psalm 77, we're going to explore this idea of lament, and my hope is to show you how lament is full of God's grace. So, so first, why would we talk about lament? Couple reasons. First, friend, pain is inevitable. And I want you to be prepared for that day. If you look at your life and you've just not suffered very much, let me be candid. You just haven't lived long enough. The fact of the matter is, is that hard things happen. Or you're going to run into a situation with a circle of friends or a person who, in your sphere of influence, is walking through a difficult season. I want you to know what to say and how to walk with them through that difficult season. Second reason why lament is important, because pain creates strong emotions, and I want you to know what to do with those emotions. So many Christians err on the side of one or two ditches. Either they deny their pain or they despair their pain. They deny their pain by coming to church week after week and they've learned that somehow it's not okay to tell people when you're really hurting. And so they come to church and someone asks them how they're doing and they find some sort of christian ease language to communicate at least what people want to hear and not what's really happening on the inside. They sort of deny the reality of their struggle. And there's others who despair their struggle. Some of you may be here today and you're despairing the pain in your life. In fact, what's happened is that pain has become so real, so prominent, so significant in your life that you've actually begun to think some rather scary thoughts like, I wonder if this thing called Christianity is even true. Does God really love me? Does he really have good purposes for me? 
And for some of you, it's created a barrier. Even today, you're at church, you're here, and I praise God that you're here. But if you're honest, there's a barrier because the pain in your life has created despair. Lament enters this complicated terrain and gives us language. Third reason why lament is important is because sometimes pain doesn't go away quickly. There's some of you who know exactly what I'm talking about. Your wayward son has not come home, and you've been praying for him for 20 years. The cancer diagnosis is back. Or the ongoing autoimmune issue that you're wrestling with is something you have to live with every single day. Or the unreconciled relationship that you're so brokenhearted about, despite your best attempts, is just not able to be reconciled. And the effect of that is every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, and maybe even this last family reunion, is just a heartache. You see, lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's goodness. It's the language for the in-between world. And my guess is there's a bunch of us who are in the in-between world. You need to learn how to lament. Finally, a watching world needs to hear from the church how to think and how to pray when the bottom falls out of life because after all, of all the people on planet Earth who understand the full arc of God's redemptive plan, it's Christians. And therefore, Christians ought to be the one who help the world interpret life's sorrows through the lens of a biblical category. So I know how to cry. You know how to cry. But the question is, do you know how to lament? So let me define lament for you. Before we get into Psalm 77, let me help you just understand what this biblical category is. Here's a very simple definition of lament. Lament is essentially a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. Every one of those words in that definition is important. It's a prayer. It's something that I take to God in pain. I'm hurting. It leads. It's designed to go somewhere. You see, lament is not a cul-de-sac of sorrow. It's a conduit that's meant to lead us somewhere as we trust in God's goodness. So lament is language for the journey as we walk through pain. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. The Bible is full of lament, especially the Psalms. Do you know that at least a third of the Psalms, one out of every three songs that were written that became the official songbook of God's people were lament psalms? A third. Do you know how many contemporary Christian songs that the church sings today could be categorized as lament? Not even close to a third. Not even 10%. Barely three, four, or 5% of present songs being written would even come close to fitting the category of lament. What does that say? It tells me that we understand triumphal singing, we understand triumphal thoughts better than we understand how to speak when the world falls apart beneath us. Lament wrestles essentially with two critical questions. Lament wrestles with God, where are you, and God, why is this happening if you love me? Jesus himself quoted a lament psalm on the cross, Psalm 22, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And most laments have four characteristics. They involve 
a turn to prayer where the person moves from the disorientation of their pain towards an orientation towards God. So in their pain, they talk to God about their struggle. They turn to prayer. Secondly, lament involves bringing our complaints, bringing what's wrong. Third, asking boldly, asking God to intervene, asking by faith for him to make good on the promises that he has made. And finally, we choose to trust So we turn to prayer, bring our complaints, ask boldly, and choose to trust. You see, to cry is inherently human, but to lament, friends, is inherently Christian because we understand the arc of history. We know God's plan of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We know of God's sovereignty. We know of his promises, and yet we live in a broken world, don't we? And it is Christian lament to call upon God to tell him our pain and to ask him to intervene, to say to him, how long, O Lord, how long? Throughout the history of the church, God's people have been lamenters. And my aim today is to try and recover or maybe discover this beautiful and helpful language because church, there is grace Oh, there's grace in lament. So let's talk about how to lament from Psalm 77. You have your Bibles there. Look at verse one. When we think about how to lament, we we take that first step that I mentioned before, those key elements of turning to prayer. Verse one, he says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. So that's That's the psalmist saying that in the midst of whatever the pain is, and we don't know what the background is for this psalm, he's calling out to God. He's, in effect, praying. I love this psalm because it's filled with honest struggle, with deep pain, with lots of questions, and it also resolves itself. So in this this short psalm of 20 verses, we see the full manifestation of the progression of lament. We find that the psalmist is in pain, and yet he's not silent. However, he's not just talking, and he's not just crying. No, he's praying. Well, one of the steps that I hope that you'll take from this message today is some of you have given God the silent treatment because you're disappointed with how your life has turned out. Or you've given him the partial silent treatment. There's a thing in your life that is so filled with sorrow, so painful, that you've stopped praying about it. You've given up hope. I hope you'll be moved to pray again. Because here we have the the psalmist who's reaching out to God with this painful prayer. And lament is essentially that. Lament is a prayer. The first step in learning to lament is turning to God while we are in pain. So if you've come this morning with a, a broken, hurting heart, I'm so glad you're here. What a great decision you've made to come to the house of God. And I hope today you'll just be encouraged that God loved you enough that while in your pain you came to hear a message where someone from God's word is inviting you, calling you, even exhorting you to say, brother or sister, in the midst of your valley, talk to God. Call upon him. Don't be silent anymore. Open your soul. Open your mouth. He says, I cry to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. Verse two, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, notice here this prayer posture, my hand is stretched out without wearying. So the idea here is that the psalmist is reaching out to God in the midst of his pain. 
what I want you to know is that when you're in pain, it takes faith to pray. Lament is messy. Lament asks tough questions. And yet, lament is an act of faith as one says to God, even in this pain, I will not give you the silent treatment. I will talk to you and cry out to you. And even though this pain has been a part of my life for a long time, I will still keep talking to you. You see, to lament, oh friends, is not faithless. On the contrary, Given the prominence of laments in the Psalms and throughout the Bible, lament is actually an act of faith. Problems and pain are part of what it means to be human, and to lament is part of what it means to be Christian. You see, when you understand that the problem of sin is the problem of, of sin has affected the world when you understand that God has all power rested in himself, that he is sovereign over all things. When you, when you comprehend the beauty of redemption through the person and work of Christ, when you know one day God's going to return and make everything right, that makes your heart say, how long, oh Lord? How many funerals do I have to attend? How much more injustice do we have to witness? How much unfair treatment must take place? How much lack of reconciliation will be a part of our experience such that every burden, every pain becomes now a platform for us to say, God, would you come, would you come? Our world is broken. When school shootings happen, when racial incidents take place within our nation, when it seems as though marriages are falling left and right, when children are disobeying their parents, when the reality of addictions become the front and center of our society, it seems to me that Christians ought to be the one who stand up and say, how long, O oh Lord? How long? How long? Lament is one of the deepest and most costly demonstrations of belief in God. One author, Stacy Smith, says this, a lament honestly and specifically names a situation or a circumstance that is painful, wrong, or unjust. In other words, a circumstance that does not align with God's character and therefore does not make sense within God's kingdom. Our world needs to hear Christians enter into lament. There was a shooting in a high school in Noblesville not too long ago. After that shooting, I I wrote a lament for Noblesville. Put it on a blog. The thing just took off. Was interviewed at a little local TV station. And part of the reason I wrote the lament is I wanted our community to understand how do Christians process pain? How do Christians relate to those who are hurting? And how do Christians think about a world that is broken? It seems to me that we of all people ought to be those that interpret the pain in life. We of all people should be able to cling to what we know to be true. So lament is a a, a cry of a hurting, pain-filled, yet believing heart. It's an act of faith where we resist the temptation to stop talking to God because we're disenchanted or, or somehow angry with him. Laments express to God what he already knows to be true about your heart. And praying through that pain means that we deal honestly with strong emotions that we feel and the difficult questions that we face. So let me ask you, is there anything in your life that you've stopped talking to God about? 
Are there questions that you've not asked him? Are there wrestlings that you just have put aside because you thought that real Christians don't wrestle with God? Friend, a third of the Psalms are gutsy and raw and real. You may be here today and not yet a Christian. You may be in the process of trying to search for what is the, the reason for my pain and what is, what's the hope or solution. And I hope that by the end of this message you'll understand how the place of Jesus and his work of redemption at the cross helps to interpret all pain through that lens. It may be, friend, that God's using your pain to open your ears to hear something about himself that you've never heard. You may be here today just wrestling as a Christian with how you're going to be able to make it. And I hope today that the first step you'll take is this, that rather than staying in your pain, wallowing in your pain, denying your pain, or despairing your pain, you'll instead use your pain as a platform to talk to God. Turn to him in prayer. Secondly, the psalmist begins to bring his complaints. Now nobody likes complainers. But there is a category within the Bible and permission for biblical complaining. Look at what he says. Verse three, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open so I am so troubled I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. So what happens here, friends, is that while his grief is so strong upon him, he brings his complaints. He's praying, but in his praying, he's bringing his complaints. This is important because if you've ever walked through a difficult season, you know that grief is not tame. It's not linear. And friends, lament is how you live, or maybe better, where you live when your life doesn't turn out like a Hallmark movie. I don't like Hallmark movies. I don't like the Hallmark Channel. I don't think it should be on cable. I think they should cut it and get rid of it. You know why? Because it's not realistic. Now, my wife would strongly disagree. And so would my daughter, and so would my mother-in-law. But they're deceived, okay? Every Hallmark movie turns out the same. It all works out, they get married, everyone's happily, they live happily ever after, so it drives me crazy. I can walk in the room and see the movie and go, oh, I know how this is gonna turn out, they're gonna get married. And my wife and daughter are like, Dad, be quiet, stop it, you're gonna ruin the movie. I'm like, ruin it? Everyone knows the plot line. They're all the same. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, When Calls the Heart, Love's Abiding Joy, Straight from the Heart, A Boyfriend's Christmas, or Love's Everlasting Courage, it all ends the same. <laughs> My life doesn't end that way. It's not turned out that way. Especially Boyfriend Christmas, whatever that one was. <laughs> so lament is for the real world, friends. Lament is where we live. But what we have here, though, is more than just a prayer. We have these complaints. The reason why complaint is allowed is because as Todd Billings says in his book, Rejoicing in Lament, he says this, if a person, listen, if a person did not believe God is sovereign, there would be no cause for lament. 
It is precisely out of a trust that God is sovereign that the psalmist repeatedly brings laments and petitions to the Lord. If the psalmist had already decided the verdict that God is indeed unfaithful, then they would not offer their complaints. How true. So the psalmist offers six pointed rhetorical questions beginning in verse seven. Look at them. Here they are. Notice how real, how raw, how unusual these questions are. He says, will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Notice, friends, he's questioning the favor, the love, the promise, the faithfulness, and the compassion of God. Now listen, does the psalmist really think that God is not loving? Does he really think that God doesn't keep his promises? Does he really think that God is unfaithful? I don't think so. And the rest of the psalm will bear this out. But something very important is happening here, and it is this. That there are times in the midst of our sorrow and grief that we feel things that we know aren't true, but they feel true nonetheless. And biblical complaint is for feelings like those. I know this isn't true, but God, this is really hard. I know that you're caring for me, but I can't figure out how this fits. I know that you have good plans for me, but I'm lonely, God. I know that that you are sovereign over all things, but why are you letting my daughter run away? Seriously, God. I know you're in control, but why? Biblical complaint gives voice to the things that we know are not true, but feel true nonetheless. James Montgomery Boyce, pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for 32 years. He says this about these kinds of statements and questions. It's better to ask them than not to ask them because asking them sharpens the issue and presses us toward the right positive response. Doubts are better put into plain speech than lying diffused and darkening like poisonous mists in the heart. A thought, be it good or bad, can be dealt with when it is made articulate. I've often thought, God, I'm gonna tell you something, and in my struggle to tell God something, I find myself sometimes laughing at myself because God already knows. It's not like he hears my prayer and says, I have no idea you felt that way. (laughs) God knows, and yet he invites us to tell him about our burdens. You see, honest, humble, Pain-filled questions, friends, are part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a broken world. In fact, complaint is the central dynamic of what makes lament lament. And a third, one in three psalms talk to God this way, and it isn't sinful. In fact, it's part of the way in which God has cared for us. Lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty but live in a world filled with tragedy. After the death of our daughter in 2004, we struggled with multiple miscarriages. I was scared to even hope again. Some of you know what that means. Finally, we got the test results back and my wife was pregnant again. We we rejoiced, went to the doctor, some blood work, her numbers were up and this sense of excitement. We, we, We dared to start to hope again and believe and to let our jaded hearts be excited. 
We went to an early doctor's appointment where they were gonna do an ultrasound just to confirm that everything was okay. In the same little room where we confirmed that my daughter had died in 2004, the doctor put the wand on my wife's belly, began looking, and a strange appearance came over his face, and my wife saw it and said, what? And he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have a home for a baby, but there's no baby inside. You have what's called a blighted ovum. I was like, what? what? The test results, he said, I know, the test results indicate everything, but there's no baby in there. The same room. We went back to the car, closed the door. What do you say in a moment like that? Here's what my wife prayed. She said, Lord, I know you're not mean, but it really feels like it today. Do you know what that is? That's a complaint. I know that you are not mean, but a blighted ovum? Seriously? After multiple miscarriages and a nine pound baby born deceased? God, why? And I'm telling you, I am thankful for that biblical category because it gave voice to the pain and the struggle rather than closing the door of our car and just saying, hey, let's just trust the Lord, which we needed to. We needed a language that led us there. And we got there. But in that moment, in that car, I needed something called lament. Followers of Jesus believe that God is in control, but you also know life is still hard, and part of the reason it's hard is because we believe the promises in the scriptures, and when we're fighting hard to believe these promises through the tears, that is when we need complaint. Lament is humbly praying through the pain, laying out our heartfelt and honest concerns and complaints to the Lord. So lament involves turning to the Lord, Turning in prayer involves bringing our complaints. Some of you need to know today it's okay to tell God what, what's your, what you're struggling with. He already knows it's there. Why not pour your heart out to him and realize that part of being a Christian means in our brokenness we still keep seeking him. And then finally in Psalm 77, we see ask and trust. The other two categories within lament merge together Beginning in verse 10, he says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. So that word then is really important. Whenever you see a lament, you're going to find some point in the middle of that lament, a turning point. It's often the word but, the words so then, or the word then, or the word yet. So the idea is this is happening, yet I believe. It's like a bridge between pain and providence. Look for those words and then voice them yourself. He says, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Notice the word will. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Notice he's in pain, but he's not gonna stay there. He's asking and trusting. He's rehearsing the good works of God and anchoring his heart. He's leading his soul the right direction. Verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. Notice the focus on God's character and on his sovereignty what God is great like our God notice where he's going 
He's taking his legitimate why questions and he's anchoring them in the who question. Because you know, don't you, that the who question is far more satisfying than the why question. Doesn't mean you can't ask why, but it means your why questions lead you to who. And if you need a great example of that, just look at the book of Job. A man who was fraught with all sorts of difficulties and pains, and over and over he asked God, why, why, why? God never told him about the battle between him and Satan. Never told him that, that Job, you're just a mere pawn in the midst of this divine drama that's being played out. No, 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 God's solution to Job, the comfort that he gives him, is not to explain to him all the reasons behind his suffering, but rather he says to Job, where were you when I formed the earth? Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? Were you there? Job, do you play with Leviathan with a ring in his nose? Can you call forth the thunder from the sky? God knows that it's more helpful and comforting and right for his followers to be affirmed in his sovereignty than to be given all of the answers to their questions. So friend, live in the who and get there through why. He continues, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. With your arm you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And then look at verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God. So the psalmist now is going back to the historical works of God. He's anchoring his heart in what God has done in the past. By the way, this is one of the reasons that every church needs senior citizens in it, and lots of them because you have more time in the rear view mirror, you have seen the providential care of God, and you need to speak to a younger generation who doesn't have the amount of time that you have, and to use your experiences and say to them, I can testify that God has never abandoned me, even through the difficult and dark waters. He has been faithful to the very end. So please, senior citizens, speak, speak, speak of the works of God. The psalmist says, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Verse 18, your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth shook and trembled. And then notice verse 19, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Now think, those of you who know your Old Testament, what is the event that involved water and going through it that would be the historical redemptive event of Israel? It's of course the Red Sea crossing. So Asaph anchors his heart to the whole Exodus event, the Exodus event where God says to his people, you are mine, I've heard your cries, I've heard your laments, and now I'm gonna deliver you out of Pharaoh's control. And when they stand at the brink of the Red Sea with Pharaoh coming on them and the Red Sea in front of them, God shows up and delivers them. And he says, notice verse 19, yet your footprints were unseen. What a great statement. God delivered his people. He says you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Exodus was an anchor for Asaph's heart. 
It was the place that he brought his lament to. Why? Because there was no greater moment in Israel's history. It defined their understanding of God's character, and it gave Asaph hope in the midst of the dark moments of his lament when it seemed as though God had forgotten about him. He brought his heart back to ask and trust in his God because of how God had proven himself to be trustworthy through this great moment of delivering his people. It's as though he reminds his heart, if God can deliver us from Egypt and part the Red Sea, then surely he can deal with our sorrows and our challenges. So what is the grace of lament? For us today, our Exodus event, dear friends, the place where we found ultimate deliverance, the place where we take all of our laments back to is none other than the cross of Jesus Christ. That is where all our questions should be taken. The cross is the foundation of our hope and our confidence that no matter how dark, no matter how difficult, no matter how bleak life may be, we take all of our sorrows back, we bring them through this process to the cross and remind ourselves that God has already proven himself to be for us and not against us. He's already proven that he can take what appears to be the worst possible scenario in life, the slaughter of the innocent son of God that for the watching world seemed like a disaster and the enemy thought that he had won and in one singular moment God blew the door off of the grave and announced to all that death will not hold him, the grave cannot contain him and at the end of the day Jesus bought the right to make everything right. Thus the scriptures say in Romans chapter eight, what shall we say to these things? What things? What things? The things that are problematic, the things that are painful. What do we say to those things? Here's what you say. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God proved himself to be faithful in the cross, then surely he can prove himself to be faithful in your cancer, in your bad marriage, your ongoing health issue, your wayward son or daughter, your difficulties that are happening at work, the challenges with unreconciled relationships, your loneliness that you experience, your disappointment in your marital status, your failed marriage that didn't turn out like you wanted. You name whatever you want, and none of it, while incredibly painful, penetrates the floor of redemption where Jesus bought the right to make all of that right, and one day he will. One day the skies will split open and Christ will return. The devil will be no more. Sin will no longer reign on the earth. We will live together with him forever and ever. And the one characteristic of the new heavens and earth is that there will be no crying and no lament because the ground of all lament, namely sin, is gone. Yeah. And yet we live, don't we, in the in-between. We live in the land between a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. So what do we do? We lament. We turn to God in our pain. We lay out our problems candidly at a gut level. We take the sufferings of life and we tell God about them. We walk with one another, we weep with each other. We don't police other people's pain. We enter into it and say, let me walk together with you 
We join in the lamentations of others as they wrestle with difficult emotions and challenging sorrows. We, we, we enter the places even in our community and in our nation that are rife with pain and sorrow and we interpret that pain and sorrow in light of the lens of the cross. If you're here today and not yet a follower of Jesus, that's what's missing. You can't interpret life's pain unless you understand what it means that God is for you and not against you. It means that today you need to become a follower of Jesus, receive him, return from your sins. And I can't promise you that your sorrow will end, but I can promise you that the Bible will help interpret it as to why and what it means. So my invitation is come to Jesus today with your pain. End your silent treatment. Open your heart again and start talking to him about what's going on in your life. Be assured God loves you, he knows you, he cares for you, despite how hard life can be. Walk with your friend who's deeply hurting. Join him or her in their lament, because in the lament prayer, we end in trust. William Cooper is one of my favorite poets and hymn writers. He said this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And there is grace, oh, so much grace, for those who discover this minor key melody. So brothers and sisters of Bethel, let us lament that we might find grace.